The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. While Pastor Matt is in France visiting two of our missionaries, our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, will be bringing us the word from the book of Philippians, talking about what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verse 12, and let's join Pastor Lou now in his message. Well, Rancho Baptist Church uh, is actually walking on dangerous ground. And I'll say that again, our church is truly walking on dangerous ground. And I know what some of you are thinking at this point. You're, you're thinking, well, Pastor Lou, aren't we faithfully preaching God's word? Day in, day out, yeah, we are doing that. And aren't we seeing a significant number of people come to faith in Christ as the gospel is proclaimed? We are, and that's exciting to see that happen. And Pastor Lou, aren't we seeing significant numbers of people here at the church not only come to faith in Christ, but to grow in their maturity in Christ and in their obedience to Christ? Yeah, that's happening, and that, that's really exciting for me to watch. But aren't we seeing the Lord grow us numerically? Not here at this service, but <laughs> in other services. And seeing Him bless us financially in a huge way, that's happening. And believe me, I praise the Lord for that. And all of this is happening, and yet we're treading on dangerous ground. The Philippian church actually existed in a similar situation to where we're at and what we're experiencing. This was a church that had its eyes fixed on the Lord. And though this church was very poor financially, they gave their hearts and their monies very generously to the Lord. Notice what Paul says about them. And we're going to look at a few things about what Paul says about this church. He said, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, of which uh, the church at Philippi was one of them, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of of participation in the support of the saints in Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And this church was also actively involved in supporting missionary activity. Notice what Paul says about the Philippians here. He says, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not only were the Philippians generous, but they were very solid in their faith. They had persevered through in the midst of much suffering and were dearly loved by the Apostle Paul for that. The very first verse in in the book of Philippians, in this letter, it tells us that the church had a solid leadership structure. The letter is addressed to the elders and to the deacons. 
in this particular church. So where you ask is the danger to this excellent church? We have to do a bit of detective work to kind of see it. Now notice with me, as we go through some exhortations that Paul gave to the Philippian church, think about why Paul would have felt compelled to say some of the things we're going to look at here. Paul said some of these things. He said this. He said to the Philippians, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul also said this to them. He said, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So putting on your detective hats, what do you think might have been happening in this committed, generous Philippian church? What do you think might have been going on? What do you think? What's that? The opposite of that. Any specifics that you can kind of see might be going on here? Selfishness was one of them. Division. Division. Paul says, be of one, 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 united in this. Division was happening. There was disunity, and there was selfishness, and the people were seeking their own way, and a number of the folks were kind of looking out for number one. Later on in this letter, we get an even clearer picture of what was going on. Paul said this, he said, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. He also said this, he said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So in this solid church, there were two ladies duking it out. They were arguing with each other, and they didn't like each other very well. And look at what Paul said about these women. He said, they had shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These were not some immature new converts to the faith. These ladies had been knee-deep in ministry with Paul. They were mature ladies, but they were feuding with one another. And the predictable result of this was this verse we see up on the screen here. Conflict among even a small group of believers in a church spreads throughout an entire church. People were taking sides in the church at Philippi. They were grumbling and they were disputing with each other. And the inevitable consequence of all this was a dramatic dimming of the light of their witness of the gospel to this community that surrounded them. And in all of this, Satan was exclaiming, Yes! He liked this. He liked this. 
And though Rancho Baptist Church doesn't have any of these types of obvious disputes occurring, and believe me, I praise the Lord for that, as a solid growing church, we are vulnerable. And this is where we're walking on dangerous ground. The last two Sundays, Pastor Matt has been talking about our enemy, the roaring lion, Satan, who is looking to devour us. And since RBC is posing such a significant threat to his kingdom, he would love to put a stop to people getting saved, growing in their love, and obedience to the Lord. That's surprisingly one of his chief methods for doing that, is to introduce conflict between people within the body of Christ. Satan did this in the Philippian church, and he just loved to do that here also. John MacArthur made this observation. He said this, he said, Because fracturing Christ's church is one of Satan's major objectives, the challenge to preserve the unity of the Spirit is constant. A divided, factious, and bickering church is spiritually weak. It therefore offers little threat to the devil's work and has little power for advancing the gospel of Christ. Well, fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul gave the Philippians some some directions on how to work through these conflicts. And wedged in between the passages that we've looked at this morning, Paul gave the Philippians a very short but very important exhortation on what to do, how to do it, and why they should do it. The title of today's sermon is Work Out Your Salvation, and our text is Philippians 2, verses 12-13. If you haven't done so already, turn to this passage and read the Apostle Paul's words along with me. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now let's pull these verses apart and apply them to our own lives. First, let's look at what we should do. Verse 12 contains the the main idea of this passage, which is in the form of a command. And that command is, work out your salvation. Work out our salvation. Now, right off the bat, we need to talk about what this command does and does not mean. Let's start with what it doesn't mean first. What this command doesn't mean is that the Philippians, or us for that matter, have to work to earn our salvation. In fact, later on in this letter, Paul talks about how he used to trust in his own works to save him. Here's what he comments to the Philippians. He says this, If anyone else had a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is found in the law, found absolutely blameless. So in these verses, Paul is essentially saying, Look! If anyone could have earned their salvation, I was the guy. I was zealous and extremely religious in everything that I did. But notice what Paul comments a few verses later. He says, 
I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. None of us could ever earn our salvation. We're not good enough. We're only saved by grace alone, by faith in Christ alone. You know, and if any of you are here today and you think that God will accept you for your good works and that that's your ticket into heaven, you're dead wrong. Like Paul said, all of our works are like rubbish in God's sight. There's only one way to heaven, and that is repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ, period. There's no other way. You know, and if today you're here and you realize that you're trusting in your own good works to get to heaven, then come talk to me after this service, and let's get this straightened out right away. Your eternal destiny is at stake here, and this is very, very important. So if Paul doesn't mean that we work for our salvation, let's talk about what he does mean. Look carefully at what Paul says in verse 12. He says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say, work for your salvation. You see, to Paul, salvation had three parts. It had a past, a present, and a future. Let me explain a little bit here. Salvation is a kind of a three-part process for any true Christian. You see, we, we were saved in the past. This is what the Bible calls justification. In Romans 5, verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, we have been justified by faith, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, God justifies us. He declares us not guilty. And as a result, we are destined for an eternity of peace in God's presence. Praise God for that. But we not only have been saved, we are right now being saved also. As His beloved children, the Lord is changing us. He's transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ and fitting us for heaven. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. And not only have we been saved, and not only are we being saved, but someday, and may it be soon, we will be saved. The Bible calls this glorification. Someday we'll be completely transformed into the exact likeness of Jesus Christ. And notice what Paul says in Romans eight twenty nine through 30. He says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those 
whom He justified, He also glorified. Oh, may that day come soon. So the part of the sanctification process that Paul is referring to in the passage that we're looking at today is the sanctification, the present portion of our salvation. Notice again what the word he uses here in this. He says, work out your salvation. You see, sanctification, it involves work on our part. Sanctification is not a process where we just kind of simply sit idly by and say, okay, God, I'm just going to sit around here and wait until you change me into the likeness of Christ. No, that's just not the way it works. There is effort involved on our part. The rest of verse 12 gives us a clue what this effort involves. Look at it again. Just as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation. You see, working out our salvation, it involves obedience. Now, remembering the context of this passage, disobedience in this passage has a very specific meaning. As we looked at earlier, being deeply concerned about the disunity of the Philippian church, Paul instructed the Philippians to be of the same mind, maintain the same love, cease being selfish, and humbly serve one another. So in this context, working out salvation meant being obedient to Paul's previous exhortations about unity. We here at RBC must put Paul's exhortations into practice also. It's important that we do that. You know, if one of your brothers or sisters here at RBC has offended you, then you need to put into practice Colossians 3, 12-13. So then, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And if you have sinned or offended someone, or you even suspect that you might have, you need to put into practice Matthew 5, 23-24. Jesus said, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Now, in this passage, Jesus is essentially saying that if you and I know that there is a problem between us and someone else, getting it resolved is more important to the Lord than even worshiping Him. That's what the presentation of a sacrifice was. It was worship. That's how important right relationships are to the Lord. He said, it's more important to me that you get that right than you come and worship me. And because of this, we must proactively seek out a brother or sister whom we've offended. We need to confess our sins and seek reconciliation with those people. And even if we're not sure if we've offended them, then we need to go and ask. Being the knucklehead that I am, 
I've had many opportunities in my life to put this in practice, I'm sad to say. When I've noticed that for an unexpected, there's an unexpected aloofness that's kind of arisen between myself and another brother and sister, I'll go to them and I'll say something like this. You know, hey Joe, I've sensed some distance developing in our relationship. Is there something that I have done to offend you? Now, most of the time I found that the other person is simply having kind of a tough time, and this actually provided an opportunity for me to encourage them and pray for them. But sometimes I found that I've indeed done something, and I didn't even realize it. And this kind of approach allows me to humbly get the relationship repaired, and that's what we need to do. It's important that we have those relationships repaired in the body of Christ, so that we don't give Satan an opportunity here at RBC. So Paul has told us what we should do in verse 12, which is working out our salvation. In verse 12, he also tells us how we should work out our salvation. First notice in verse 12 that Paul tells the Philippians, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more in my absence, work out your salvation. To Paul, one of the greatest blessings about the Philippian church was the fact that they obeyed whether he was watching them or not. You see, what we do when no one else is watching is the truest measure of the condition of our hearts. The true measure of our obedience is what we do when no one else sees. And thus, we need to take care to obey the Lord even when no one else is watching. You know, no one sees when we're holding a grudge against one of our brothers or sisters. And we may be the only one that knows that we have offended one of our brothers and sisters other than that brother and sister. But who are we seeking to please? Are we satisfied to maintain an appearance of obedience? Or are we really seeking to please the Lord by being obedient from the heart? He sees and he knows. Second in verse 12, notice that Paul instructs the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now the fear and trembling that Paul is referring to here seems to be an attitude of respect towards the Lord. It's an attitude of reverence and humility. You know, one thing, though people may not be able to discern our thoughts, as we talked about, God can. He knows when we harbor resentment against another brother or sister. He knows when we refuse to get things right when we've hurt or offended someone. When we cultivate an attitude of reverence and humility before the Lord, we will not want to do such things. Also notice verse 13 of our text. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. And when you look at the original language in verse 13, it's very evident that Paul was putting his emphasis on God. Thus Paul is exhorting the Philippians to have this attitude of respect and humility because God the very God of the universe, the Holy One of Israel, was at work within them. 
And because of this, we must obey with an attitude of reverence and humility toward the Lord. So now Paul has told the Philippians what they should do. He's told them how they should do it. Now he tells the Philippians and us why we should work out our salvation. And Paul gives two reasons, actually, why. The first reason, notice the first word that Paul uses in verse 12. In most of your Bibles, it'll either be the word, so then, or therefore. Most of them, it's probably the word, therefore. So I ask you what I frequently ask you, and that is, what's the therefore, therefore? What do you guys think? Okay, where does it take you to? Okay, but where? What in particular? What's that, Brad? The work of Christ. It takes you at least to there, and it may even take you all the way back to uh, verses 3 and 4. But Paul is referring back to at least Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the example of Jesus and his obedience to the Father. He said this, Paul said, you guys, you need to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus is our model. He provided us an example of humble obedience that we must imitate. Jesus did not seek to cling to his status as God, even though by every right he could have. Instead, he chose to be, literally, it says servant, it's a slave. He chose to be a slave and be obedient to the Father's desire to redeem us from death. In obedience to the Father, Jesus died a hideous death to save us from the judgment we so richly deserve. And oh, my brothers and sisters, since our Savior gave His life to reconcile us to God, can we not see what a hideous offense, what a gross blasphemy it is when we harbor resentment toward one another? and refuse to take the necessary steps toward unity in Christ's church? How can we arrogantly demand our rights when our Savior surrendered His? We must see our crucified Savior whenever we're tempted toward selfishness and bringing about disunity in our church. For the second reason, look at verse 13. Paul commands the Philippians to work out their salvation, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. Notice that how that fits into verse 12. Work out your salvation, because God is at work in you. 
You see, that's why we can work out our salvation and obey the Lord. He's working in us. Otherwise, obedience would be impossible. And notice that God is at work within us in two different ways. The first, notice that He is at work in us to will His good pleasure. In other words, God is working in our desires, and He's giving us the desire to do the things that please Him. I don't know about you, but that's fabulous news to me. So many times I found that that I not only don't do the things that please the Lord, but sadly, sometimes I don't even desire to do those things. Ever experienced that? Yeah, yeah, you're like me. But according to this verse, God is working in our hearts and changing our desires. You see, for most of us, the problem with obedience is not a matter of knowing what we should do. Most of us have a pretty good handle on that, don't we? For most of us, the lack of obedience is a problem with motivation. So, even when we have a problem with motivation, we can ask the Lord to change our desires and He will do it. Praise God. We can bank on that promise. It may not happen right away, but He will do that as we submit to Him. Second, notice that God is working in us to actually do what pleases Him. So He's not only working in our desires, but He's also working in our actions. So why should we work out our salvation? We should work out our salvation because God is continually at work in us, developing both the desire and the doing of His will. And in these two, in these two verses, we see the marvelous balance of God's plan to transform us into Christ's likeness. We are responsible to obey the Lord, but at the same time, He is at work within us making this obedience desirable and doable. It's not one or the other. It's not just us laboring to obey. And it's not us sitting around and waiting God for us to change us. It's both. That is true sanctification. It's us disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness and seeking to obey the Lord. And it's Him working in us and changing us on the inside. In closing, I hope that uh, you are encouraged about what the Lord is doing here at RBC. On behalf of the staff and the elders, I will tell you this. We are grateful for what the Lord is doing and we are deeply excited for the future because God is doing some great things in the hearts of people here at this church. But like the Philippian church, all of us must be diligent to work out our salvation, refusing to allow disunity to live in our church. You know, Satan would love to destroy RBC in that manner. But we must thwart His plans by obedience to the Lord and His Word while He works in our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for all the incredible things that You are doing here at RBC. Lord, we stand and marvel. There's no reason why You should do that other than the fact 
that you are a gracious God and you love us with all of your heart. We stand in awe of that. But Lord, we also see that and we're very aware that Satan would love to take us down. Lord, he's not happy with what's happening here. Lord, I would ask for all of us that you give us the grace to be obedient to you, to live in that balance of working out our salvation, of seeking to obey you with all of our hearts, at the same time trusting and believing in your word that you are working in our hearts and changing us into the likeness of Christ. We rejoice in that. Lord, we look forward to that future day when faith will be sight and that that for which we long for will happen and that we will be just like you. Lord, bring that day soon, we would ask. In Jesus' name. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. Our mission here at Rancho Baptist Church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and who live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions at all regarding this particular broadcast or this sermon, or if you just want to know God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to contact us. You can call us here at the church at area code 951-676-2911. That phone number again is 951 951- 676-2911 or you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurchalloneword.org that's ranchobaptistchurch.org trust that you have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you walk with Him